Welcome to Coming Attractions. With uh, with me this week is Nick Milligan and Dan Flegg. My name's Joe Frost. This week we have all gone to see Kong Skull Island, which is, uh, I guess we'd call a pretty hard reboot of the King Kong franchise. And uh, Nick's got an overview of the film. Thanks, Joe. In Kong Skull Island, the chunky monkey returns, resurrected with the full gamut of modern CGI trickery, for the second instalment in Legendary's burgeoning monsterverse, following Gareth Edwards' 2014 film Godzilla. With spectacular set pieces and a strangely uneven tone, young director Jordan Voigt Roberts, taking a giant leap in budget after his acclaimed 2013 indie The Kings of Summer, borrows heartily from both the 1933 and 1976 versions of King Kong. The result is both an enjoyable popcorn spectacle and an aimless rumble in the jungle. Skull Island, like the 1976 film that starred Jeff Bridges and Jennifer Lange in her big screen debut, is set in the early 1970s. America has just pulled the pin on Vietnam, leaving military personnel relieved, frustrated and bitter. We quickly meet Bill Rander, played by John Goodman, and geologist Houston Brooks, played by Corey Hawkins, who we saw as Dr. Dre in the film Straight Outta Compton. They work for a government organisation called Monarch. They convince the senator to fund a reconnaissance mission to an uncharted island. They recruit former British SAS captain and expert tracker James Conrad, played by Tom Hiddleston, and a helicopter squadron known as the Sky Devils. They're led by Preston Packard, Samuel L. Jackson, an intense, single-minded United States Army Lieutenant Colonel. The ragtag Sky Devils are assigned one last mission to escort a group of scientists to Skull Island. This wouldn't be a King Kong flick without a blonde beauty, and in this instance, it's photojournalist and peace activist Mason Weaver, played with measured tenderness and tenacity by Academy Award winner Brie Larson. All right, guys. uh, First question... Does $185 million buy you a good film? It can, but not this time. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What went wrong? You want to take this? Uh, I mean, what went right? It just was... It was It was all over the place. It, there was no... I guess no focus. It sort of tried to be a whole bunch of different things. It wanted to be... Um, comedic, but it also wanted to touch on the horrors of war from the the semi-post-traumatic stress perspective of people that they never really delve into. Um, at the root of it all, it's supposed to be a monster movie, though, and while it did do that, there was... And really, do you know what? King Kong, hey, star of the piece, and for good reason. He's supposed to be. The movie's named after him. That's that's the whole part of it, that, that it really, you could say, they did quite well. But there were too many characters. None of them were developed. The the pacing was all over the joint. It was just... So you pick up for me. I don't know. It just <laughs> had narrative inconsistency. I mean, that's the real problem. You can touch on elements and leave them as red herrings throughout a, a film like this. But as you've mentioned, it's a giant monster film. And it just didn't feel like it had any any real direction throughout the whole piece. They had a, a fairly stellar cast, you know, as you've mentioned, Nick. You had John Goodman. Uh, you have, um, I guess this isn't giving too much away, but there is a, a, a... Can we talk about the crazy guy that's in it? 
No, he's he's in the trailer. Over the trailers, mm. John C. Riley was a big John part C. Of this Riley, movie. yeah, Goodman, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, Brie Larson, as you mentioned, and, and Hiddleston as well. But the characters are never really fleshed out, and they, you know, you, with these kind of films, you're salivating for the moments with Kong, who is there. But in between all of that, you have this ensemble cast that really need to carry where the film's going. It doesn't feel like you really know where the film actually is going throughout, and. They're one-dimensional characters. I mean, the amount of times I saw Hiddleston standing there just kind of brooding in like a, bon- a Chesty Bonds t-shirt with like a machine gun hanging over his shoulder, mm. but not really doing anything else. It got to me after a while. I was just like, where is this going? You know, I don't know. I felt- and I think, well, it's easy to touch on the half a dozen big name stars that, that featured in it. There were half a dozen secondary characters who got as much airtime and got as much play as the big ones. I think Samuel L. Jackson probably, you would say, perhaps commanded. I think maybe he had enough nous and maybe enough foresight to be like, this movie's not going anywhere, so you know what? We're going to do some stuff about me. This guy is going to be your, you know, your, your single-minded, focused, hardcore grizzled army veteran and and i'm gonna have you know a purpose in the film and then there's like 11 other characters who dither about what it is they want to do in in their time on skull island nick what do you think well it's true i mean this i think for me uh, i agree with everything you guys said uh for me samuel L. jackson probably has the most to sink his teeth into uh this he does a lot with very little screen time and very little writing to do with his character but there is a reference made into the film, I think it's John Goodman to Tom Hiddleston's character, where he says something like that men that go to war are, are looking for something. Uh, and they, you, you don't remain in a war zone unless, unless you've found it, basically. Um, so this idea that you know, he's searching for something, we, we see a scene with him early on where, where Vietnam has been basically you know, called off for, for the United States, and he looks very restless. He, wants, he doesn't want to go back to normal life. And when, as we see in the trailer... Uh, in vivid detail in the trailer, as it's as it's done quite well in the movie in this very apocalypse now sort of sequence, King Kong swats all of his uh, soldiers out of the sky and wipes half of them out. He then develops this sort of Captain Ahab obsession with with a, Kong. A new challenge exists for him. A new war, really. Yeah. And he so he makes it his mission to uh, to bring him down, and that sets him on this you know interesting collision course but that's sort of the really only interesting thing that 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 happens in the film it's a very soulless exercise and it's because the characterization is really thin like you said there's there's way too many characters too many soldiers too many scientists it would have been better to have a few peripheral people but core core people and it also you know i mean i guess the, the the writer's belief must have been you know get them to the island as quickly as we can that's what people want to see is them on the island running from monsters but what they don't do is really spend any significant time painting and fleshing out who these people are. By the time they get to the island and they're flying into the into the storm, which again we see in the trailer, there's this fairly spectacular sequence where the choppers have to fly through a storm. By the time that happens and they're already going into the thick of what's going to unfold, we, we don't really know them well enough to give a shit. I agree. You don't care. Mm. You're on the island, but I mean, other than them being a one-dimensional vehicle for your arrival at this this foreign land, you don't care. Yeah. And, and, the, and the thing that bothered me the most about it is when they attempted to grab your attention and really say, here's a reason to care, it was the cheesiest stuff. Like, really, really bad. Like, 
there's one soldier who's like, oh, I just want to get home to my son, and he's writing him notes, mm. and it's like, and they try to explain, you know, like he ha- he's having difficulty writing a letter to his son, and, and it's just done. It, oh, yeah, it's like it, film it, school sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, and, yeah. But, 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 but get again, back for my kid, it's just like, oh my, this can't be happening. This cannot be happening right now. It. We're past this. But again, but they don't, they don't bother to follow through on even that, on even the most cheesy and and film school of of i guess almost cheat sheet things oh yeah you'll care about him if we do this they do it like two or three times yeah. and then they just kind of go they're oh, like one sentence yeah. descriptions of a character yeah and look here's another example hiddleston's character at the start um look you know what if this gives a little bit away i don't think it really will it starts in in a in a seedy bar in asia He's a he's an ex SAS soldier has all of these skills, um, and obviously he's got this checkered past. He's been decommissioned, mm. and he's now betting on pool, getting drunk, and getting into fights. But you know what? That's all you get. Did do you remember an explanation as to what his real gripe was with the world? What was going on? No, neither no. do I. Don't remember. And all that happened name. was you just roll through the film, and it's like, oh well, I guess he's past those issues that he had because they haven't been touched on ever again. He's just like. I don't know. It just it gave me a headache watching. I couldn't understand why there was no character arc. No, they just they threw the, here. Well, it was a Jackson Pollock of of characterization. Let's just splat paint at things, hoping it sticks and people get on board. Mm. But you know what? For a lot of people, they look at that canvas at the end of it and go, "What is this? Yeah, what is this? I don't know what this is." And it's like, can't you see the picture? And it's like, no, it's just yeah. It's just it's specks of character that have just been mashed together. In, yeah, And it's plotting pacing. It really is just one set piece to the next as they're kind of just travelling across the island, slowly getting picked off, introducing sort of larger and larger creatures, which are all depicted uh, in broad daylight without any real, you know, like no, no real thought, I thought, put into a lot of those set pieces. And you see so much stuff, it starts to actually erode the impact of when you see... You know, bigger bigger creatures towards without giving too much away, but the stuff happens towards the end. Most of which is in the trailers as well. I might add. I mean, almost it, everything it is, is in the trailers. It is a film that is so guilty of giving every, every decent part away yeah. in the trailer. It is what a two-hour film, and if you've seen the two-minute trailer, you've seen all you need to see. The latest trailer shows that whole sequence with the helicopters. Literally every clever shot that, and it probably is the strongest bit in the movie, is when he's swatting the helicopters out of the sky. All those great ideas and concepts for, for the, the visuals are all in are all in the release trailer. It's all out there. Let's talk a little bit about perhaps some of the positives that exist there, because I think we'll probably return to a lot of the negatives that do exist there, because there are yeah. there are a number of glaring oversights that exist inside of this film. You've mentioned the CGI uh, and I guess the budget as well. Whilst in a narrative sense, there's a lot of holes. Did you find entertainment in some of the big sequences that exist that have been CGI'd inside of the film? For me, uh, you know, what I was expecting and hoping for was Kong versus Beast. And I think, obviously, that's what the MonsterVerse is setting up. So, you know, there's going to be some sort, something comparable in size that will, he'll, will battle in the same way that Godzilla did. Um, so, you know, I was expecting that. And when, th- when those moments sort of do eventually arrive, yeah, you know, as, as far as just, you know, pure, uh, in pure spectacle, there's some enjoyment to have there. But... Uh, yeah, not really. I, I, I was sort of, um, it, it all kind of washed over me and, and at the end I was just sort of like, um, I had no emotional connection to anything that happened. So I enjoyed Kong as, a, yeah. as, as just a, as a specimen, as a character. The thing, that, oh, and again, I don't want to be overly negative about the complete production, but 
there are likable elements, but I don't really know if it was because the film managed to portray that or that's just inherent inside of the character at large. You know, he's this lonesome primate that exists that, you know, seems to be in this constant struggle with his environment. And I did enjoy those moments, but however, they were very fleeting inside of the film. But then leaving the cinema, I did think, isn't that just his character anyway? Or have I, am I just piggybacking my previous concepts of Kong as a character, you know, on, on the back of this and, yeah. and saying, you know, I, I, I enjoyed that about that character. It's like, well, this film didn't actually do that. It just, exte- in some part, extended that notion. <laughs> I think- really played on my heartstrings from that one <laughs> Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode where home was King Kong. And I remembered, and that was what really carried me through. Like that, you're definitely right. It's like you guys know Kong. He's he's you know misunderstood and, and big and bad. He, and he's a victim in every film, really, yeah. isn't he? He's always mm. been the victim. Like humans in hay in, invade his his backyard. They don't understand home, him, and they kidnap yeah. him and and try to exploit him. Um, that's essentially what happens. I mean, this is slightly different. That uh, they're not really trying to. To take him off the island as such that are simply trying to survive but uh, again he's the victim I mean they've rocked up in his backyard they, they as you see in the trailer bomb the shit out of the landscape just completely like it's and you know I was watching going this is nuts but humans probably would do that like we don't have any real compassion for the environment so this, just bombing this place that hasn't been explored by scientists there's all this fauna and wildlife that are just ripping the shit out of um, so, you know yeah, what the yeah. opening scenes almost they almost explain the whole depth of the film where the guy goes, well, why would we go there? And he says, I don't know, cure for cancer, alternate fuel sources, just like lists everything that is the solution to mankind's problems yep. and goes, maybe, like, take your pick. Mm. And then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, then we'll go. All right, mm, they mention the Russians as well. But, yep. like, that that's kind of what this movie is. It's like, I don't know, take your pick. Maybe it's one of these seven things that people like about movies. Mm. Maybe it's one of these seven things people like about philanthropy as a reason to go there. Yeah. And they go, yeah, sure, go ahead. And it's like that exact conversation happened with why should we make this film? I don't know. It's against war. There's some funny people in it. There's a monster. Like, you know, maybe the Russians will do it first. <laughs> we should definitely do this movie. And a Hollywood executive went, yeah, right. Eh? Yeah, fully. It was, and then just bombed the shit out of yeah, everything instead. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's carpet bomb it. Yeah. I think what we should probably touch on as well, which if there was something that particularly bothered me inside of the film, it was this. And it's that the directors made a clear decision to kind of create ad hoc scenes from previous films and inject them into his own with a very low level of success. The first one, well, the first film probably is Spielberg's Jurassic Park. I noticed there was a lot of scenes that seemed like nearly carbon copies of, of elements inside of that film that just weren't done as well. Um, and, that, and that ended up bothering me because I feel like it, it, when something like that is, 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 is trying to you know, pay tribute to such a seminal film like that and, and it fails and doesn't put its own spin on it, it just becomes far worse. It's 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 nearly. It should have been on the cutting room floor. I feel as though there was a couple of moments like that. Where I was like, "You're referencing this, but oh. you're not doing a good job at it." It's it's constant, really. You, you could almost attribute a reference to every scene. I mean, Apocalypse Now has been talked about a lot because there are these long. There's this long sequence where the choppers are flying golden over and red sunset. Everything. Yeah, and the guy dropping the bombs is is very much the you know get some get some you know chain um, chain gun guy um, shooting all the all the locals. Um, and you see the reflection of the bombs in these in his uh, ABS yeah. glasses and everything, and uh, Black Sabbath's Paranoid is playing over it, and it's this very sort of military scene. Um, 
Actually, no, that scene is in Full Metal Jacket I'm actually referencing. So Full Metal Jacket and Apocalypse Now, but of course that famous chopper scene from Apocalypse Now. Uh, so it, it has that 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 war, uh, yeah. that 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 war vibe. That particular tone is very existent um, throughout the film as well. They return to that later on as well. Mm, mm. I mean, no, it doesn't give anything away, but obviously, or not obviously, but there's a, there's a napalm scene, and it's kind of got a little bit of that yes, as well. Definitely, a lot yeah. of work off reflections and things like that that are really. Um, really linked to the films that you're talking about there, I guess. Yeah. yeah Samuel L's got a direct quote of his own where he says, hold on to your butts. And it's uh, it's a line he has in Jurassic Park. He does? Yeah. Does he say that in he Kong? He says that in Kong, yeah. Hold on to your butts. He does. And I, I didn't this. notice that. And mm. in, in Kong, no, do you know what? In Jurassic Park, he says it as this overworked, IT overtired guy. <laughs> IT guy who's got about 12 cigarettes yeah. in his mouth at the time and knows that the guy that he's up against has got his number. Yeah. And in this, he says it as this sort of snide remark to people and like almost looks at the screen and winks. He's like, hold on to your butts. You're going to fight a monster. Like last time. <laughs> but I mean, you talk about the, the connection to Jurassic Park. I mean, if you, if you put, played these films in a double feature, one is a masterclass in making a monster film. One is everything you could do wrong, really, and I mm. think one of the, what really annoyed me the, probably the most, more than the characterization, is the fact that at no point is this film remotely scary, remotely thrilling, and it, they make no effort to build tension at all. There's so much stuff in it. There's never a build up of tension. I, I totally agree, and I think that the biggest mistake that they make is showing Kong so early. Mm. It's bizarre. It's like that minutes, really. You know, yeah. you take you should take a Hitchcock. Uh, mentality on that one and say you know what let's get this guy out in the last third of the film you don't need to see him in full frame at all mm. maybe a hand that's and, it it's a hand yeah, here just and anything. Just, just, yeah. just you know just the, you hint, know, the suggestion the presence is what you need not not just you know not 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 the personality there straight away it's it, and it blew even my mind more so than than that sort of build up of what is the monster like is I remember very, very much that when I went and saw Jurassic Park in, in the movies for the very first time and there's that scene towards the end where the velociraptors jump up mm. and they nearly bite Lex's leg that's hanging out through the, uh, through the vents. Yeah. And everyone in my row lifted their leg. Like yeah. it was one of those moments you were so invested. Like, oh my God. That whole raptor sequence when they're in the kitchen. You know, and then you they're, felt it. Oh, it's terrifying! It's a terrifying scene. And with is this, there's just no no sense of nothing. You know, that there are these. It's it's the difference between and sorry, this this does aliens a disservice, but it's the difference between an action film and Alien, which was you know a horror suspense film. Yeah. And this hinted towards being a horror suspense film, but was a crap action film instead. You know, there were these little moments, little hints of like oh, there's something lurking in the background here and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And then it just kind of, I don't know, kind of just sort of like regurgitates it yeah. out on top of you. But, it's a monster. <laughs> but, you know, but going back to that raptor scene, it's you care about those two kids in Jurassic Park. Like, you, you, it's actually consequential that they're being attacked and almost going to be ripped to shreds because there's characterization there that's been built up as well as all that tension. And that, that's what this film's lacking. Like, when you... The opening scene of Jurassic Park is is a guy getting ripped apart by an unseen dinosaur. There's flashes and a guy screaming. Mm. You don't see it. And then when the T-Rex first appears, that's like a 20-minute slow build lead up to that, that Maybe moment. Maybe longer. Yeah. yeah. From the moment they get in that rail car yeah. and start, and it's daytime, they start rolling through the park. 
impact when the storm hits and they're just simply parked outside that enclosure. The goat pops up. That whole sequence is a build-up of and things. And it's at night. At night time. It's at night. <laughs> yeah. Everything was in the day in this film. Night time like, is your friend if you're making a monster. And they, yeah. they even reference it at one point in the film. And you know what? Look, if this is going to ruin the film for you, I'm sorry. <laughs> but look, at one stage they're like, oh, we've got to get inside. You wouldn't want to be out here when it's dark. And you know what? I guess the rest of the film didn't want to either because you know what? That was the last time we saw darkness in the film until right at the end. No, apparently no, all the bad they, stuff happens no, then. It's like, well, that's the stuff we want. So someone's got to get locked outside at some stage and have to deal with that. Ten minutes later, Ugh. there is. There's a whole scene where the guys are outside for the night. But and nothing, nothing happens. happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Yeah. Oh, open open flames. Right. Wouldn't want to be out here unless you are and then that's fine as well. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't follow through. And if I could... Touch on one thing that this is—it's like a famous gripe in uh, in Jurassic Park, which you don't notice. You don't notice it because it's such a masterfully crafted film. Is that the Jura- the, the Jurassic Park the <laughs> the Tyrannosaurus Rex emerges from its uh, from its enclosure, comes out onto the road, messes everything up, right, and then it knocks the cars down into its enclosure. And suddenly, its its enclosure is fifty meters deep. Yeah, that's come out of nowhere. There's this huge gaping error in that film where you're like, "Hang on, like it doesn't it doesn't ruin." But there's there's a set piece that you go, "Wait, what did what do you mean? When did the T Rex's enclosure become a huge drop because it managed to walk out of it not four minutes ago?" But you're so held that you don't care. Whereas throughout Kong. There were so many moments when I went, wait a minute, didn't didn't you guys just spell out for us how, like, Tom Hiddleston has a moment where he goes, we're spread out over 45 miles. Oh, hey, how you going, man? Good to see you. <laughs> didn't didn't catch you there. Glad you're here. And and everyone just comes together and it's it's got this, you know, did, did you ever play uh, The Curse of Monkey Island? Yes. And there's a whole joke about how you keep everything you need right inside your pocket. That's right. And there's yeah. a point where, like, you pull out this two meter long thing, and they, like they're in on the gag. It's like, how would you ever hold all this? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But they do that throughout this film, and it's just like, oh, do you have a flamethrower? Yeah, I do actually. Oh, good, good. Yeah, bring it out. Yeah. You got a couple of Bowie records? Yeah, yeah, I do. Hey, did <laughs> you some, miss that enormous rest. monster that was crushed by a helicopter that was miles away from where we were? Yeah, I didn't see it on the way in. But I saw it on the way out. Oh, yeah, good. Where, where did all this stuff come from? It just yeah. just, just materializes. There's Look, no continuity. Yeah. I think we can agree there's some holes in this one. So I think let's just get down to our rating of uh, Kong Skull Island. I'll start with you, Nick. What would you give it? I'm going to give it two and a half. And I think that's being pretty generous. Yeah. Joseph? Um, I, I, look, of all the gripes that I've had with it, the cardinal sin that it made, I was bored. I was bored throughout. I can't remember a part where I was really genuinely wrapped in it. Uh, and so I'm going to give it two. Dan? <sighs> yeah, it just, it made so many mistakes. There was at one point where I was just having a conversation with somebody inside of the cinema. And um, <laughs> that's being brutally honest. Yeah. Like just going, this, they can't be taking themselves seriously at this point. Like Maybe this is the way this film's going to go. It's going to be one of those ones that's like, we're in on it too. But they weren't. So, I don't know. I'm going to give it like maybe one and three quarters just for Kong. And that's all for Kong. Yeah. Just because he was there and, you know, yeah. That's it. <laughs> Your grand gripe at the end. No. Where's his dick? 
True. Yeah. Yeah. Where is his dick? Yeah. That's a good question. Because they breed. So in every Kong pain. film, he, he never has a penis, never does a penis, he? Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Do, do, do he we, certainly, we'll have to look into this. He's always um, attracted to the, the blonde lady protagonist. Yeah. So he must. Maybe he's overcompensating. I, I was saying perhaps <laughs> maybe they've got a like an internal and it Re- only tr- retracts. Yeah, retractable penis. Mm. So it's called cinema dick. We need <laughs> a yeah. <laughs> we need a King Kong film where the where the lipstick comes out. I think. Oh, one for the adults. That'd be. <laughs> That'd be scary. Yeah, wowee. Yeah. Um, look, moving forward, let's let's talk a little bit about Kong, though. I mean, he's a big guy. He's about, about Kong himself, not the film he starred in. Nor his wang. No. Mm. I mean, he's a big guy. He's enormous wang. So, <laughs> we can talk about Kong's wang. Which he can night. tuck away like, like nobody's business. Yeah, that's it. The old tuck. He was the first one to do the tuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Way before Silence of the Lambs. Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, certainly one of the biggest monsters in, in, in modern Buffalo cinema. Bill. <laughs> it worked hard. Oh, no. Kong versus Buffalo Bill. Who wins that? That's a big, big gorilla dress. <laughs> oh, what have we become? Dan, move along, please. Yeah. This is only going to get worse. So, obviously, one of the biggest and baddest in cinema. But there's a lot of others as well. And I was thinking earlier on, who would actually win uh, in a mono a mono Scenario. We're assuming that we're going to get a Godzilla v King Kong at some stage, so I guess we'll figure out who w- wins that battle. I think we definitely are. I mean, they've announced um, Godzilla King of Monsters for 2019, but there's a film slated for 2020, which I think will bring those two together, mm-hmm. unless the next one does in some capacity. So. Well, I mean, that's a bit of a massive uh, wink to the audience, isn't it, to begin with? If they're going to be yep. in the same cinema universe and they're calling it Godzilla King of Monsters... And where, where does that leave King Kong? So mm. they've, they've got a... Well, but I think as anyone who's seen a, a King Cholera... King Cholera. <laughs> a King Kong or a Godzilla film, I tell you, they're both good guys. Uh, it's, a, it's always a bit of a struggle to explain it, why the guy that's destroyed everyone and crushed cities at the end is the good guy, but they managed to be that way. Like Superman. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, killed millions of people, but he's the good guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I'm um, that's that's sort of what we've got here. We've got a, a Batman versus Superman showdown with these two. Yeah, and I think what's going to happen, and it's disappointing, is it will be this massive cop out where we don't see there won't be a winner. It'll be mankind are the winners. Somehow they'll they'll have to team up on a greater threat. Um, and and I know that doesn't answer the question. But I feel like that's what—that's the answer we're going to get from from this cinematic universe. So a stalemate between that pair. I, I'm just not excited for it anyway, to be honest with you. I, I just don't see... I, I think adding another monster into this scenario, if they can't get it 100% right w- when they've got standalone films, then what oh, chance mate, do they have if they're sharing screen time? Look, I, I'm I, getting the 51 yeah. to get a P. <laughs> I mean, I, I know you guys had mixed feelings about it but I really liked Gareth Edwards Godzilla I, I thought it was really well done and I liked the fact that it was a little bit humorless but still quite enjoyable like there wasn't really a cheesy comic relief as such like that opening sequence with Brian Cranston and Juliet, Juliet Binoche and all that you know they imbued those characters with a lot of empathy and things like that and uh, I yeah. think he did a far better job of in terms of characterization and just the, the visuals and the construction of those set pieces I, I had a really good time with it so that, I guess that's why I actually had quite high expectations for for Skull Island. So, I, I don't know. I mean, getting back to Godzilla, I, I think there's every chance it could be another interesting film. I like those big 
that big showdown at the end of Godzilla with those two the he made interesting decisions as well with you know I mean specifically with Brian Cranston's character as well I actually didn't see that coming it was nice to it was nice for some some choices in the narrative to catch you off guard I suppose yeah it's something certainly that uh, Skull Island didn't do so uh, other than it being shit house do you know the problem with with showdowns I guess as it were when they come to Monsto e Monsto is you don't get any yeah I went there give me a break fluent <laughs> oh. um, Spanish what language is that <laughs> <laughs> I've spent time in South America you don't know um, is that they called him El Monsto over there <laughs> yeah that's what they scream as he, as he tears yeah. through Cancun he's, he's back yeah <laughs> they generally just called me Cabron which, which I Mexican. found out what it meant later um, oh well, I have to know now Oh, I, I called a cab driver at thinking it meant mate. What did it mean? It means cunt. What oh. Was that Cabron? Yeah. There's a Chili Peppers song called Cabron. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. Exactly. Is that what it means? Yeah, there's a handful of songs. I was singing that as a young man. Yeah, no. It in was, Bible study? You know, it's one of those ones that mm. you can sort of be a bit like, hey, Cabron, like in here in Australia, you can be a bit like, hey, oh, hey young, young, young. And they're like, okay, oh, yeah, okay. there you go. Yeah, right, okay. But, it, you know, it flies in some South American countries and in others and it doesn't. Oh. And when you're a white dude from Australia, it doesn't fly wherever you are. So then say it's old Chapo or someone like that. Mm, no, that was it. <laughs> said it to a cab driver and he was horribly upset and Ooh. I didn't work out for a couple of weeks until I said to someone, I'm like, hey, I caught a guy Cabron the other day and they were like, what did, wait, what did you do? <laughs> well, foreign monster. Bring um, it right back. Yeah, let's get yeah. back to it. So, um, so listen, the, the thing with uh, a monster versus a monster film is, and this is... I guess when you have a showdown between a superhero and the bad guy, you tend to have a case of, you know, the bad guy gets on top to begin with and then the superhero goes away and he works out what he's done wrong and and therefore there's like a, a, a sort of a... A growth of some A kind. growth of yeah. some description. Whereas when it's two monsters, you're not going to see them. Like one doesn't, you know, sit down and have a bit of a think about... It's a Godzilla training montage. <laughs> where yeah, survivors playing and yeah. I was punching I was a building <laughs> there's people falling out of the building. It's like, yeah. 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 Just biting a, a ship. Which yeah. makes it difficult to get on board with the idea that, you know, monster versus monster... Well, and it's about the humans in, in between that, I guess. It's always, there's monsters and humans on some level. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the important thing, yeah. I have a question for you both. So we've spoken about Godzilla and, and Kong because they're going to share screen time at some stage, one would assume. But where do those characters stand as far as the big bads are concerned? So there's been a couple of films. I mean, straight away, I think of Cloverfield. had a, I guess it's a Godzilla, but you don't yeah. really see it. It's a giant monster. I mean, It was an alien, wasn't it? From memory, is meant to have come uh, from outer space I or something. They, it, it, it just it is what it is. Yeah. You know? Again, though, a, a valid point. It probably doesn't matter because it's really the tapestry that's woven with the characters that are on the ground, yeah. the humans that really sell that story. So well, I you think don't in, really need to know. I think in Ten Cloverfield Lane, they're definitely aliens. I think those two films were in the same universe of understanding. So yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's an out of interstellar beast, I suppose. But but very much Godzilla like in its destruction of a city. Mm. Yeah, you got the Pacific Rim creatures. Yeah, as the well. kaiju. Yeah, uh, which, which you know, it, that was a hell of a lot more fun than than what this franchise has been so far. I've got to say. Yeah, because this is meant to be a bit of a throwback to these classic Japanese movies with Kong and and Godzilla fighting each other. You know, men in suits in a you know small um, constructed city, model city, uh, and I think that 
Guillermo del Toro did a much, much better job of actually capturing the fun of, of did, those battles. But it know? did feel fun straight away. And it had a very, a very playful energy about the whole production where, yeah. where it, nearly, it nearly felt like that he'd removed a dimension inside of the film that was too harsh or ritty or grill. Uh, uh, grill? Grill. Or, <laughs> ritty or grill. Uh, <laughs> gritty, real. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like he removed certain elements in order to just really hone in on, on, on what he wanted that film to be. Mm. And, and it nearly feels cartoonish at moments. It's yeah. just like, like the motivations of the characters is, are, are really like... I don't know, like like the Karate Kid. It's just like you know yeah. what I mean. Like it's it's one of those that's things. Voltron. Like, yeah, that but, too. But it can be that you know it is a heightened reality mm. m- movie. It's a it's a it's a fantasy film. Yeah. And so you, you, there is definitely space to to be that way. Um, you know, you, if you go too gritty and real, like like Skull Island perhaps tried to do, um, you end up with a kind of soulless, humorless sort of production. But Pacific Rim was definitely a lot of fun. So and, and you know big big monsters big robots like that was it was a it was a really great popcorn flick and there's big money in them and I think we're definitely going to see more of them yeah but, the sequel's um, not too far away is my understanding the sequel of well the sequel to pretty much everything is not too far away for all of them probably a couple of reboots in there as well um, I think that's probably all we need to talk about for this segment we'll come back and have a bit of a wrap of all, all the latest trailers uh, for the final segment of coming attractions. Welcome back to Coming Attractions, the last part of this episode. We're going to discuss an upcoming film that we saw the trailer of before Kong Skull Island. And it's the new Guy Ritchie film that's going to be uh, about the King Arthur legend, Charlie Hunnam. King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Legend of the Sword. It sounds like a great porn name for a film. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm sure it won't be from what we can tell. Uh, what was our impression, guys, and what are we sort of expecting from Guy Ritchie's take on the Arthur legend? I was actually shocked that Ritchie was at the helm on this one. I didn't know this was coming out. It must have just mm. gone under the radar, as it were. Uh, I don't know. It's been hit and miss over the years with uh, the Camelot kind of story, hasn't it? You know, there's been some good films, others... I don't know. Does he... And does Ritchie have the, the chops to... To, to do something that's I guess is I'm assuming it's going to have some historical drama kind of element to it to some degree it's, it's it, to me it looks like a very stylized version there's going to be some crazy special effects it's going to be very much a fantasy take I mean the trailer itself has a lot of uh, it looks like a lot of magic and supernatural elements to it so look I'm, I'm not the world's biggest Guy Ritchie fan I know a lot of people still sort of uh, look very fondly on his earlier films like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and, and Snatch and films like that but to be honest I mean they've never been films I've, I've really really returned to very much uh, they left me a little bit cold at the time so and everything he's done since the Sherlock Holmes movies and things like that for me are very much exercises in style over substance there's not much depth to them really it's about the, the flashiness of the whole production so I'll, I'll probably see this film like it looks interesting and the cast is certainly solid you know Jude Law is the villain he plays a good villain Eric Banner is, is in there as well as, as Uther Pendragon so I, I'm, I think I'll go in with fairly measured expectations to be honest I'm a big Guy Ritchie fan yeah big is maybe the wrong word <laughs> I am a fan um, I, I love Snatch mm-hmm. Lockstock I think that. is <laughs> um, <laughs> Lockstock is easy now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Lockstock, I, I didn't think was as good, but I get why people see them as a, you know, one or the other. But not you like one or the other, but it's a... Yeah. I, I could understand why someone might enjoy that. I felt that he was the right man with, um, with Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. The second Sherlock Holmes was just a bit whatever. He's a hit and miss director, and when he hits, I feel like he, uh, he hits it for six. And it's important to say that he does hit it for six rather than that he hits it out of the park because he is a very British director. He brings his very British sensibility and he's quite proud that he's not um, an American, a Hollywood-style director, even though he totally is these days. Mm. But, you know, he's gone back to something that is very, very British. And there's really nothing that's more British than the King Arthur legend. It is the basis of so much of the, uh, I don't know, I guess British folklore. Mm. It all comes back to, to, to this kind of thing. And I, I think he's the right man to do it. And I'm, I'm look, I'm, I'm willing to, to give this, this a chance. I think it could be a really, well, like you say, there'll be a lot of Guy Ritchie style sort of trickery to it. Yeah. But I enjoy that. Okay. Fleggy, what do you reckon? I don't know. I, as I was saying earlier, I just, I don't. I'm not particularly excited about the concept. I, you know, there's there's been some some dullards in the bunch. Like what first first night wasn't particularly great. That yeah. That, and they had Connery and I Gear in it. I loved Excalibur as a kid, and I don't know if you remember that. I never saw uh, it. I do not and think I saw it. But it's one of the more well known ones besides mm. First Night. And of course, uh, Monty Python. And the Holy uh, Grail. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's my favourite of all of them. I'm happy to wet my whistle on that, but <laughs> that's a different beast entirely. It, it yep. is. But do you know the interesting thing about uh, a King Arthur film, and it's a it's it's worth absolutely bringing up here, is that a King Arthur film tends to be a standalone. We've we've had you know basically everything that we've discussed here in terms of King Arthur has been a film that has stood on its own merits, and that's been it. Yep. And apparently this one is supposed to be the first part. It's, you know, it's your reboot. It's your origin story mm. of the Arthurian legend, which is then going to go for, they have prepared for six films. And that's when, that's when the problems start. Because mm. if it was Guy Ritchie doing a King Arthur film, and it is, I guess, uh, do you know what? It's the other Arthur story that we haven't brought up is Disney's Sword in the Stone, which True. is just the story of, Arthur, the forgotten idiot of the family, as it were, until he draws the sword from the stone. And that's when the film ends. He becomes the king and the movie's over. And that's all they ever did with it. And it looks like that's kind of where they're going to go with it, is that it'll be this origin story. How does Arthur become king? And then they feel like they've got five other films to to rinse out of it. Mm. And that's when I start to ask questions, because... I mean, a second one for sure. Five more? How much padding is there going to be? That's my and question. And how much will this set up for a sequel too? Yeah. Because it won't, it won't stand alone at all. It, mm. won't be, it won't be an insular thing where it'll be this one great film. Well, there and are you know great that's happen, stories within that legend uh, of, you know, because of course there are the Knights of the Round Table and... There are actually all these amazing little sort of, um, I don't know, offshoot stories of what the various knights did that proved that they were these worthy, chivalrous characters 
and they deserve to be knights of Arthur's Round Table. And that's the kind of thing that you can go, okay, you want to make, uh, I guess, a cinematic universe based on this this idea. You're all part of Arthur's Round Table. That's where you can take it. You can't make six films about Charlie Hunnam being <laughs> chivalrous and honourable <laughs> and a king and also his best mate's banging his wife and... Um, and maybe he's having it off with his sister. And there's a lot of stuff in the King Arthur I, legend. I think I'd be more excited if we knew that maybe, you know, Richie was attached for even half of the films. But that's the other issue that's going to exist with it, that there won't be any narrative consistency. He'll come on for this one film. The second one might be average. And then the next four that come out will be by a bunch of directors that we perhaps don't know. They might cut characters out. It, it's just they've... They've set up for too much when really they should just make sure that, you know, the, the, the first cab off the rank is, is the best one and it can stand alone. I just don't see it happening. Well, I, li- I, mean, that's I wish it did. That's got to be the hope you would think is that I think it's the, for myself, the, the prototype of the, the great setup is Star Wars, where it finishes what has, I mean, when it was released, it was just called Star Wars. The very first episode, what we now know as episode four, was a standalone film which finished quite, I guess, it was a well-rounded ending. We're done here. This thing's over. And then they were like, you know, George Lucas comes along and goes, no, 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 guys, there's a whole backstory and there are all these other things, but that's based on whether there's money or not. And you would like to hope that maybe, because that is a good way to finish it, hey, Look, there's there's possible stories we can go with. It's the story of King Arthur. There's a million and one stories to live off of, but do a, an enclosed, a story that, that holds its own. There's potential to branch off, but whether they do that or not, and they've stopped doing that. They've stopped doing that with virtually every big Hollywood film. You have to have your nods to what comes next. I've got saga fatigue. I'm over it. <laughs> I'm over it. I want yeah. one film that's good. Man, I just spoke about it for 30 seconds and you fell asleep. I just, I don't need six films. I'm not even sold on the first one. And they probably won't do a particularly good job on the first one either. So now I'm just like, I don't know. This is, it's, I'm, I, 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 they're cash cows. This is just another cash cow. And they know if they make six films and they have enough, ex, you know, enough epic set pieces. This is exactly like the Skull Island scenario. They're Ooh. setting up for something. But you know what? The foundations are all wrong at this point. There's nothing to stand up on once the foundations are set. And But there's money to be made. We've talked about this before. And Jude Law, Eric Banner, and Charlie Hunnam, I'd say there's some pretty solid foundations right there for a good film. To a lesser extent, mm. you'd say the same thing with John C. Riley, John Goodman, Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> Academy Award winner Brie Larson, and Tom Hiddlesfield. Yeah. But, uh, but you know what? Hiddlesfield. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> The whole field it's of things true. he does. Yeah. 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 Look, there's probably not a great deal of point delving into this one any further until we've seen it. And I think we're going to see it sometime in the next sort of six weeks. Yeah, it's coming around um, quite soon. At which point we yeah. will absolutely get it to you. The sword will be pulled from the stone in no time. And Actually, Sword in the Stone, limited trivia, was the, uh, the working title for Basic Instinct. But that's, oh. a, that's another conversation altogether. Hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I think what we're going to what we're going to get is a very flashy heightened reality version of King Arthur, okay? That's not grounded in any kind of reality. That's it's it's style. And you can see that in the trailer. It's just all flashy camera work. 
There'll be a bit of slow motion fighting of the swords, and then it'll be like all sped up again. This is what Richie does. What he did with Sherlock Holmes it was like those sort of mm. mixes of, of basic cam- camera trickery, essentially. And that's what this trailer looks like, anyway. I might let you guys go to this one. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm on board. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna give it. The, I'm calling know. in a, a theory and boycott from over this side of the table. Really? Yeah. Gonna put your foot down. The sword will stay in the stone. I didn't know me. we could do that. I thought we had to go see these things. Yeah. Well, you're saying we can only go and see the good shit after the Kong experiment. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like the rules may have to change moving forward. Yeah. Okay. Look. Anyway, that's probably all we've got time for this time at Coming Attractions. Uh, uh, please head to our website, comingattractions.com.au. You can actually read Nick Milligan's review of uh, Kong Skull Island. It's there in all its uh, sexy glory. There's uh, a handful of ones we uh, we haven't discussed as well, so there's there's plenty of content for you to, to sink your teeth into. Come to our Facebook. Uh, you know, if you've got any questions, queries, uh, please leave them there. We'll address them in uh, subsequent episodes. And as always, thank you for watching. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Nick. I've been Dan. You.